Lord, help us to speak and seek the truth, come whence it may, cost what it will. Amen. Good morning, everybody. My name is Andy, and we are just getting to know each other. I want to tell you how excited I am to join this incredible community by the grace of God and at Simon's invitation. Over time, I hope to earn your trust and to keep your trust, to be a resource in times of grief and need, to be a co-celebrant with you of your joys and your successes, and to explore together new and ancient ways to celebrate our traditions. That is, I hope that we can do the essential Anglican task which is to take the incarnate word, the gospel, the good news, and to share it using the local language and customs and practices, to preach the good news of Jesus, that is, on this block, to these people, and to be changed. I come to you from the beautiful land of Minnesota, where the twins lost even before the Braves did. My condolences. My fiance Hannah and I have uh, two cats and two dogs. Nicki Minaj and Poncho are the cats, and <laughs> Hannah named those. And the dog was Herbie, but then we went to the Humane Society just to look. Don't ever do that, because now we have two dogs. <laughs> Rue is a puppy. She joined us a week ago. Uh, I've been a priest for seven years, and before this, I was serving at Washington National Cathedral. And I was honored to work with the music and the worship staff there. And I was shaped and formed by that experience in, in a lot of ways. But two I want to share with you briefly. One is this, this hard work of being a house of prayer for all people. Really, we felt it, right? Because we welcomed President Trump and we buried President Bush and Senator McCain and Matthew Shepard. But we also welcomed the Clintons and the Carters and the Obamas. And we buried homeless people and in one case, the name of a person we didn't even know, we still buried them. And this work of being house of prayer for all people in a really divided, polarized time showed me something about what church can be. And I'm still processing that and still working on sort of the difficulty and the stickiness of that, but it was really formative. I also learned how to love a congregation and also to be loved back in return. Um, And over time, I hope to be able to enter into that kind of loving community and relationship with you. I learned how communities can innovate together to communicate joyfully and in direct and healthy ways, even in uncertain times, even in the midst of change. Indeed, this morning's gospel invites us into reflection on our common prayers. Jesus calls us to pray without ceasing and never to lose heart. But how does he call us to pray? Are we to understand prayer as the diligent recitation of previously dictated formulas? Is it saying the right things at the right times? Is it giving the right doctrinal answers? Being, or at least appearing, pious? Or does Jesus have something else in mind, something deeper? This morning, I invite you into a wrestling conversation with these questions around prayer. Because all that we do in this place, 
worship and music, preaching, formation, fellowship, ultimately it points us toward, it orients us toward, it invites us into a posture of prayer. You could say then that we are worshiping as a church well if it helps us to pray. We are not worshiping well if it doesn't. What does Jesus mean when he says to pray without ceasing and never to lose heart? The parable throws light on the question. In short, we are to be like the persistent widow who will not take no for an answer, who will not leave the unjust judge alone and in a room with many lawyers. We are appalled as that first century Jewish audience would have been at the notion that justice could be or would be perverted. See, in the Bible, being unjust, being corrupt, automatically makes you the bad guy in a story. But being unjust to a widow makes you an even badder guy in the story. She was not the bottom rung of society. She was crushed under the ladder's weight. She has no legal authority She can neither work nor support her family. She can lose her home without appeal. She has damaged goods on the dating scene. And unless her brother-in-law takes her as a husband, she may well have to beg on the streets. And still she persists. Like other widows before her, Tamar and Ruth and Naomi, this widow takes matters into her own hands. She comes to the judge who neither fears God nor respects the people. And the original Greek highlights the intensity of her plea. Grant me justice, she says, against the one who has treated me unjustly. And just like you'd expect, he hears for the first time, gives in, and everyone lives happily ever after. (laughs) Obviously, that's not what happens. Just like it never happens in our lives either. He ignores her. He tells her to leave. He goes back to living high on the hog. But she keeps coming back. Over and over and over again. And the Greek again shows us her boldness. He says, because this widow causes trouble for me, I will give her justice so that she may not in the end give me a black eye by her coming. So there's a lot to say about the judge's response. First of all, she is a troublemaker, and she is lifted up as a model of prayer for us. She's lowly like Mary, but she is neither meek nor is she mild. And second, the judge gives justice only because justice is demanded. And third, did you notice the boxing metaphor that Luke throws in here? His Greek word translates to give a black eye. And Paul uses the exact same verb in 1 Corinthians specifically about boxing. Do not miss this fiery woman's tenacity. Moreover, Luke is hilarious. We are meant to laugh at the notion of a powerless widow pummeling the powerful judge. But not for comic relief, rather for satire. The parable cuts like a political cartoon. It lampoons, it contests, it corrects the system that would abuse widows and orphans and immigrants. And so we laugh to challenge that same system and ultimately to offer a different way, which is rooted in God's unconditional love. 
often God is seen as the judge in this story. And for those of us who are concrete thinkers like me, I like to think, okay, well, who's God in the story? And I come up with judge, you know, because it makes sense. God's powerful and everything. And Jesus actually portrays God that way, being even more just than this judge. But I think there's actually another faithful reading of the text, which paints God as the persistent widow, knocking at the doors of our own hearts over and over and over again, calling us to deliver justice. And at the same time, the widow is showing us how we might live, which brings us back to this question of prayer. How are we to pray without ceasing and never to lose heart? In short, be like her. Be like this persistent, amazing woman right here. We do not give up. We do not take no for an answer. We find our way into the room where it happens and we get brave once we're there, willing to go to the mat for justice, willing to make trouble when God's dream for the world becomes a nightmare for too many. Jesus indeed calls us to be like the widow, especially when the stakes are high and especially when we have something to lose. And before taking a seat, let me cook my own goose. Because God's worship in this place aims us toward exactly this kind of prayer. We are worshiping well when we are praying as she did. And I'd like to tell you that I love worship in the Episcopal Church. I love our music and our pageantry. I love bulletins and prayers. I know you do too. Altars and vestments and linens and vergers and stained glass windows and altar guilds and choirs and flower guilds, Eucharistic ministers, readers, intercessors, organs, pianos. Did you know there are over 300 volunteers who contribute to worship in this place? And many staff as well. Contributing to the beauty and the power of God's worship in this place. And I am deeply grateful to serve among you with responsibility for this sweet hour of prayer. But with God's help, may we remember that we are not curating a concert. We are not performing perfection. We are not steering actors through a TV production. At our best, when we worship God well, when we are praying as this widow shows us prayer could be, we participate in a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of the kingdom of God where love is shared with reckless abandon, where all are welcome, even those who like different hymns and even those who like different prayers. And that's hard, right? If you have a family reunion, you don't come at 8 for chicken and 9 o'clock for tuna and 11.15 for fish and 5.30 for beef. You just, y'all come, you know? We have it in us, of course. We know what this looks like. And this remarkable church takes the work seriously. Just a few moments ago, we turned ourselves toward the center, toward the gospel, signifying that God might move in us. And then we turn with the cross toward the city at the end of our worship as the procession leads us out into the world and we continue to deeply discern God's role for us on this block, in this time, with these people. We sing and we pray with the global church, and those of us who spend Monday through Friday preparing for Sunday 
are always open to your thoughts because liturgy is indeed the work of the people. In our common prayers, in God's worship in this place, let us always keep the main thing, the main thing. Which is to say, let's try to be a church that would get a letter of recommendation from the poor and the homeless who are right across the street right now. Where God's people are called and gathered and centered and sent to follow Jesus of Nazareth, who sends us out to love. Amen.